You better get bright, pal. We got a show to do. Then we got to figure out some way to collect that gate money. Get it to the Cook County Assessor's Office as soon as they open in the morning. Joliet, Jake, and Elwood Blues. Two men with a mission. And only 11 days. Until you've redeemed yourselves. Oh, our lady of blessed acceleration, don't fail me now. For me and the Lord. And understand it. We're on a mission from God. Lots of space in this mall. Right in it. Think. Mind will let yourself be free. People walking around every day playing games and baby scores. How are you going to raise $5,000 in 11 days without ripping off somebody? Dance to Jailhouse Rock! Dance to Jailhouse Rock! Dance to Jailhouse Rock! I remain celibate for you. Hit it! My true love will be waiting. My estimations are correct. We should be very close to the Honorable Richard J. Daly Plaza. That's where they got that Picasso. Yep. guys come in here, black suits, black hats, one carrying a briefcase? Yeah, I just sent them down there. Thank you. John Belushi. You, how much for your wife? <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. After the gig, uh, maybe we could, like, uh, hang out together. James Brown. I heard the sign in my car. Cab Calloway. Ray Charles. You, you know depreciation, man. Carrie Fisher. I must now kill you and your brother. Aretha Franklin. You're living with me now, and you're not gonna go sliding around with your old white woman friends. Henry Gibson. You better pray the police get to him before we do. And the Blues Brothers Band. <laughs> 
Let's go, boys. The Blues Brothers. Are you the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White. I am joined once again by Mr. Will Fordyce. Greetings. And this is our first podcast of 2024. Happy New Year. So we figured we'd start, we'd start the new year off with a classic. The Blues Brothers. The original. Not the remake. Not <laughs> the sequel. Not the sequel, I should say. I did this movie on another podcast called The Movie Gap. But I've never done it officially on my channel, so that's what we're doing now. So I've talked about this movie before, but I've never done it on my channel, so this is officially the recording for the Dan Aykroyd podcast. Which I appreciate. Like, this is one of, like, the foundational movies of Dan Aykroyd when people think of him, like, as Blues Brothers, right? Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters. Very few people have two iconic roles that they're associated with. Harrison Ford has... Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lloyd has Reverend Jim and Doc Brown. But there's not a lot of people that's like they just have two iconic roles, and Dan does with uh, Elwood Blues and Dr. Ray Stance from the Blues Brothers and uh, the Ghostbusters. He, he pumps out some, I mean, this is just coming from his connections of SNL, right? Yes, this is the this is the granddaddy of SNL character movies. This was the first one. Oh, that's really cool. And because of this movie, we have It's Pat. <laughs> uh, what's the connection? How? Oh, because, okay. I. But that's because it's a Saturday Night <laughs> It started the SNL movie. <laughs> also because of this movie, we have Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah. I originally did the Blues Brothers on uh, the movie Gap. Mm-hmm. And then I did the Blues Brothers 2000 on my channel. After you listen to this one, if you want to go back and hear our thoughts on Blues Brothers 2000 through 2000, you can do that. I'm going to, yeah, after we get done with this, I'm going to go jump over and listen to blues brothers 2000 i was gonna assume that you've seen blues brothers but i i don't want to do that so have you seen blues brothers before i was aware of them but no this is the first time i'm watching this movie oh so that's go oh, get a fresh perspective yeah excellent so, so overall what did you what did you know about the movie what did you expect from the movie and then how did you feel about the movie so uh overall like uh what i knew about the movie was the big quote we're on a mission from god uh, cause they, I mean, that's, that's the through line and that's the main like premise and the push through. Um, so, uh, that's, that's one of the things that I knew about it. Um, coming into it, I didn't know what to expect. I thought like an SNL movie, uh, in general, um, just kind of like, you know, the, the plot points would be, you know, very, you know, kind of like similar stories and they would hit the similar plot point markers. But what I thought about the movie was uh, when I first started out, like some of the shots were great and we can get into that. Um, at first I was like a little reluctant. I was like, oh, okay. Cause it felt very, even though this came out in the eighties, it felt very seventies. Cause I guess we were just coming out of that era. Um, but once I realized for me, it was really just a vehicle to get some of the best um, singers and musicians, uh, and get them on camera and just like, it was essentially a music video with like a plot point that led everything together. It was a musical. John Landis, the director, 
said he wanted to make a musical, and a lot of people refer to this as, they just think of the car chase scene at the end. Yeah, which <laughs> is ridiculous. <laughs> it opens with uh, these shots of uh, Chicago. Dirty. Uh, smoggy. Yeah, the industrial part of Chicago. Mm-hmm. We come to this prison, and the prisoner is getting paroled, and that prisoner, we find out, is going to be Jake. So when he gets his stuff back, that is Frank Oz. Yeah. Who is known, he's a director, known for the voice of Yoda, has done a lot of things. Didn't he do Cookie Monster, too? I'm not sure about that. But nonetheless, yeah, he's, he's become, I mean, he's very popular. I was really surprised with stuff popping up. And yeah, as we go forward, like I got more and more excited as the movie went on. Uh, he has the first joke of the movie where he is returning <laughs> Jake L. Uh, Jake Elwood's Jake Blues's stuff. There is a used prophylactic. In it. <laughs> Jake has been in prison for three years. He's getting out early on parole. He's he was sentenced to five years for armed robbery, which I think that's kind of a light sentence for armed robbery. But he was. <laughs> He was in for five. He's getting paroled in three. And while this is happening, while he's getting his stuff, we see Elwood pull up in the Bluesmobile. Jalopy. There's a real, there's a, that famous scene. Belushi is getting out of jail and the sun is behind him and the bars are opening. You see the shimmering of the sun as the bars are, you know, as the, as the bars are opening. Why that scene is infamous is there was that book written, uh, Wired, mm-hmm. by... Bob Woodward about Belushi's life, and then a film was made. Apparently, they had to get the shot at this time. The sun was perfect. It was like they could, you know, if they didn't get it now, they'd have to re, they'd have to wait another day to get the shot. Landis went to get Belushi, and Belushi was just coked out of his mind in his trailer. They yell at each other, and Landis flushed Belushi's coke down the toilet, and Belushi got mad, and Landis punched him. Landis denies this, but pe- people told Woodward something different. That's the backstory behind this iconic first shot of the movie. Well, and it's where the, it's beautiful. It's an amazing shot, so I can understand. Yeah, it is. This movie is beautifully shot. The other SNL movies, it looked like a television sketch. This looks like a movie. <laughs> Having that shot kind of like set the precedent and just the pacing and the time. Like, you know, there's this, um, you know, um, I mean, later we find out he's he's touched with the spirit and the the light of the lord um so like just having this light shine i'm i'm sorry that there was such a frustrating moment to get it um done but it was well worth it so they're in the car and then jake's like pissed at elwood because it's a cop car because they had a caddy but elwood traded it for a microphone (laughs) it was worth it and we get the scene where they 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 test out the bluesmobile by jumping a bridge (laughs) That was fun because <laughs> he was complaining about it. And he's like, you know, just like this is a POS, essentially. And he's like, oh, OK. And Dan Aykroyd goes, let's find out. And he just like floors it. And that's, yeah, they jump a drawbridge as the ship's going over. Mm-hmm. And then what was it, like 400 horsepower or something? It was good pickup and, you know, cop car. You don't like it? No, I don't like it. Car's got a lot of pickup. It's got a cop motor, a 440 cubic inch plant. It's got cop tires, cop suspension, cop shocks, 
It's a model made before catalytic converters, so it'll run good on regular gas. What do you say? Is it the new Bluesmobile or what? Fix the cigarette lighter. Usually in a Dan Aykroyd movie, we get the the fast talking uh, Dan Aykroyd, mm-hmm. but that's not the El- but the Elwood Blues character is not that character. His sentences are very clipped. He doesn't run on. He talks like this. He, you know, only his sentences are usually like three or four words. It, it, like this is a completely different character than the fast talking pitchman. Very monotone. Very low key. Just your saying uh, like throughout saying the enti- through, throughout the entire movie. And he bullets them out. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. And he gets to it. Elwood Blues, he's monotone through this entire movie. Jake is monotone too, but Jake uh, but Jake has spikes. There's points in this movie where Jake loses his temper and raises his voice. You never get that from Elwood in this movie. The, the way he talks at the beginning is the way he talks in the middle is the way he talks at the end. Almost, he never gets excited. It reminded me to have some similarities between when he did Dragnet. Um, kind of in that realm. Funny you should say that because I watched this on a DVD and there is a making of the Blues Brothers. I also did a podcast on that and one of the producers compared this movie to Dragnet. Very okay. matter-of-factly. So, yes, so you were you hit that right on the nail. That's what they said it was. Nice. Jack Webb. So they so they get, after they jump the bridge, they, um, the, Dan Aykroyd takes Jake, sorry, Elwood takes Jake to their orphanage um, cause he, he promised, you promised you'd go see the penguin after you got out of prison. Um, so yeah, they go and they go to their orphanage. And speaking of Dragnet, Dan did the movie Dragnet. Kathleen Freeman, who plays the penguin, was also in Dragnet. Oh, was she the, I think she was the obnoxious lady. Yeah. Piece of, yeah, that big piece of snot. That's right. Came and, so she plays a total opposite character in this one. She plays a nun. And in Dragnet, she plays this foul-mouthed older woman. <laughs> it turns out the orphanage where they are, you know, where they were brought up, the hierarchy doesn't want to keep it, so they're going to want to sell it outright to the Board of Education, so they're not going to pay the taxes on it. Jake is says to the penguin, no, five grand, no problem, we can do that. <laughs> and the penguin is, no, no, I don't want your dirty, filthy money. If she takes the money, it has to be earned. It can't be stolen. And then... Um... It's interesting because this, this uh, I guess, trope or this, like, story starter, like the, you know, the big business is going out or something that their heart is connected to is going out. I think it was also, what is it? Um, is it Sister Act that they have to? I think number two. Um, and then Three Stooges, the movie. And then there's a couple of sketches, I think. There's a lot of sketches that this is kind of the uh, catalyst that gets everything going. Yeah, the, 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 the toughest nails none. And what what's going on with the like the I guess the kind of the church and the the door shutting and kind of like opening by themselves? It I thought that was a fun touch, um, just kind of like making it eerie. Just I think it's just the whole religious overtone of this movie. Okay, that scene where she just slides back and the door closes. <laughs> Elwood is kind of scared of the penguin, but Jake isn't. Jake basically tells her, "Well, I guess you're shit out of luck." If and you're taking my dirty money. And then she starts smacking Jake and Elwood with uh, a ruler at first, and then she breaks it, and then she gets a it switch. looks like a pointer. 
oh, switch or a okay. pointer Probably and a starts point. whipping them with it. And Jake and Elwood are sitting in these <laughs> desk desk chairs, you know, like for like elementary school. And Jake, who is you know Jake John Belushi, who is a more uh, rotund person, uh, very plain gets one. gets stuck in there. And as she's whipping him, he falls down the stairs in the chair. I always thought that was a stunt man. But I read, it's like Belushi did that and sprained his back. John Landis said Belushi did that stunt and he hurt his back and he was in a back race for the most of the shoot. Shoot. So I always thought, I mean, that that was a, it looked, a hell of a stunt. Yeah. Because he's rolling. He didn't do the, yeah, he's rolling down the stairs with the desk and maybe he didn't do the whole thing. But yeah, I, apparently he did the whole or partial of that stunt and hurt his back. Yeah, when I was watching it, I was like, that poor stunt guy. Because that yeah. was, I mean, they they took the long shot, too. They went all the way down the staircase, and you saw him, like, bounce a couple times. Oh, there's no cuts in the scene. They Yeah, it's it was done in all one one take. So, the, the roll down the stairs. Yeesh. I'm, I, yeah, I'm glad he kept going for a little bit then, because that's, I mean, that was a, jeez. So they're given their mission. We need $5,000 by X number of date, so... The stakes are set. Um, and then I forget, was it Elwood says they need to go to church or the nun says it, right? No, they it's, need to go to church and find it's Cab Calloway. That's, oh my goodness. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that was him until the end of the movie when he started, you know, getting into it. But um, yeah, they go downstairs and see Curtis, right? Curtis, yes. Curtis played by the great Cab Calloway and Curtis takes him in. And you got to go, you got to get religion. You got to go to the church. So it's Cab Calloway who sends them to the church where we meet James Brown, who is the the preacher. <laughs> and Shaka Khan is one of the parishioners. I saw her name in the credits. So Shaka Khan is in that scene as well. Yeah, man, this is a jam-packed movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what connect, I mean, maybe it was, because you said this was the first SNL movie. Yes. So maybe, maybe that, I don't know what strings they were pulling or... I mean, it's, you know. Unfortunately, they didn't have to pull a lot of strings because John Lendis said, besides Ray Charles, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, John Lee Hooker, they mm-hmm. were all, they were not in demand at that time. So they were very easy to get. Oh, okay. And But they wanted these people. They were happy to do it and it gave a renaissance to all their careers. So I'm glad that they did it. But yes, the, he goes, besides Ray Charles, all the other musical guest stars uh, we're not in high demand at that time. Hard to believe, you know, like Aretha Franklin, wow. hard to believe, but yeah. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> good timing then. Yeah. <laughs> so they get to the church. Um, and then I guess the James Brown kicks off um, kind of a, not a sermon, but like a song um, to like, or a hymn to get everybody in the spirit. And then we see, and this is something I appreciated that made me think it was more like music video-ish is they had these like nice little pauses where they had, you know, people started dancing, people started singing. And like, like you said, it was almost like a music video. Um, And, you know, the church just started going and they had choreographed dances and it was great. And then Jake sees the light. He sees the, the actual light shines down on him and he's like, the band, the band. And and both Jake and Elwood join in with the dancing. You know, he's like, we got to get the band back together. And they both have this epiphany. They're driving around now. And it's just like, okay. You know, and Jake's all excited. 
It's like we get the band back together, we play a few bigs, bam, $5,000. And by the way, they only have 11 days to do this. So they have less than two weeks to pull this off. Elwood breaks it to Jake. He's like, well, the band's, you know, after you went to jail, the band split apart. And Jake's like, I thought you said you were in touch with them. And he's like, well, I was just saying that to keep you going inside. We put the band back together, we do a few gigs, we get some bread, bang, 5000 bucks. Yeah, well, getting the band back together might not be that easy, Jake. What are you talking about? They split. They all took straight jobs. Yeah, so you know where they are. You said you were you were keeping in touch with them. Uh, I got a couple of leads, a few phone numbers. But, I mean, how many of them visited or even wrote you, huh? They're not the kind of guys who write letters. You were outside. I was inside. You were supposed to keep in touch with the band. I kept asking you if we were going to play again. What, what was I going to do? Take away your only hope? Take away the very thing that kept you going in there? I took the liberty of bullshitting you, okay? You lied to me. It wasn't lies. It was just bullshit. So Jake thought Elwood knew how to get in touch with the band, and Elwood, as he said it, I was just bullshitting you he keep was, your hopes up yeah and while this is happening they get pulled over by the cops they ran yeah they just i mean <laughs> dan dan Aykroyd drives all the time and he doesn't care he's just like because they're running through red lights yeah. or they run through one red light and that's what inspires the cop to pull them over and his license has been suspended, so the cops have to arrest him, and he takes off. And then we get one of the many chase scenes in this movie, and they start driving through a mall. <laughs> and casually pointing out stores like, oh, look, yes. the diaper exchange. <laughs> They're driving through the mall. They're calm and cool. Now, there's like three squad cars following them, and one of the cops in that car is the director, John Landis. Remember the car, the cop that flips over? He's like, you broke my, they broke my watch. Yeah. The guy next to him is John Landis. Oh, okay. Nice. So there's this excellent chase scene in the mall. And at the end, all the cop cars are wrecked and Jake and Elwood are able to escape through the front window of J.C. Penney's. <laughs> Product uh, placement Well, right there. So they found an abandoned mall. And what happened was they told these businesses, you can put your stuff in the mall. You know, you get you can get advertising. So there's fake stores and actual stores in that mall. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, if you want to come, if you want to dress up a, a store and have your name, you know, you can be in this big blockbuster movie. You can get, free, you know, free, ad, not only free advertising, but and, and any goods they damaged, they would pay for. This was, that, it was like, yeah, the industry has changed. As John Landis said in the documentary, they could never make this movie. It would just be too extravagant to make this movie nowadays. Um, the music rights alone would bankrupt this movie. Oh, yeah. They go back to Elwood's apartment. How long was the movie that you watched? The time was two hours and 27 minutes. Oh, so you must have watched the extended cut as well. Okay, good. This We watched the extended cut. They added like 15 minutes from the theatrical release. So the theatrical release was like two hours and 15 minutes, and they added another 15 to it. The, I mean, it's, and it doesn't, the movie doesn't drag because, um, I mean, you're stopping to have these musical numbers and dance numbers. So the reason they cut the movie to get down, it had nothing to do with pacing, it had to do yeah. with showings. If a, if a movie is, 
an hour and a oh. half, they can show it four times. If a movie is two, you know, if a movie is two hours and a half, they can only show it three times. Which we don't have that problem now with streaming and all that. But yes, when a movie was released, very, that's why we don't. We very seldom have these big uh, had movies over two hours long, uh, and that's why they say usually the sweet the sweet spot is ninety minutes. So a theater could show the movie more and and make more revenue. The movie can make more, and then the theater can make more. So that was the main reason why movies were usually under two hours. Now, <laughs> now it's ridiculous. They're like three hours long, and <laughs> right, but it's streaming. You know, on Netflix, you can pause it. Yeah, all that. Anyway, so they get to the apartment. Well, so the scene that one of the scenes that was cut from the theatrical version was. Elwood parks the Bluesmobile under a Transformer. That scene is supposed to show why the Bluesmobile can do such amazing stunts. It gets its energy from the Transformer. Okay. All right. Because was that ever... And I don't know if, like, sometimes the video I would watch, it would skip a little bit. Uh, Did they ever say that? Or that's just, like, the theories on the internet? No, that's just... That's what Dan Aykroyd has said. Oh, okay. Dan Aykroyd has said that is why it can do that. And John Landis... Just when he cut it, he goes, well, now we can just do it in the movie because I said it could do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They go to his boarding house. It's a men's hotel and it says vagrants welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're standing there and kind of admiring the apartment. And guess who pulls up? Carrie Fisher. I know. It's amazing. Just like, yeah. The she pulls up and uh, she pulls out. This is uh, one of the sniper rifles. This is, she is an assault? this is a rocket launcher. Oh, that's right. Okay, rocket launcher was first. So she shoots this rocket launcher, and the minute they hear it, Jake and L would hit the deck, which makes me believe it's like they've gone through this before. They know what a rocket launcher sounds like, and the minute they hear it, they hit the deck. <laughs> <laughs> Because the, Carrie the, Fisher causes millions of dollars worth of damage in this movie. If you're listening to this, I'm pretty sure you know the Blues Brothers, but we'll get to it at the end. But <laughs> but she blows up the doorway to the boarding house. She drives away, and Jake and Elwood just get up like nothing happened, brush themselves off, and go up into his room. No cops are called? Nothing, no, no cops are... Random. Only times the cops are called in this movie is for the Blues Brothers. But all the damage around them caused by other people, the cops are never called. <laughs> but it's fun. It just... It, it, yeah, this is part of the fun of the movie for sure. So yes. They, they go upstairs and um, people are playing poker and hanging out. Uh, and then he, the Dan Aykroyd tells the, I guess, head of the apartment complex, hey, this is my brother. He's going to be staying with me. And some, the thing that confused some random guy, unless it was product placement, was like, hey, give me my cheese whiz. And he throws it to him. And that my only guess was product placement. No, that was a joke. That guy was one of the grips or hands. You know, he, he was involved in the movie somehow. And it was just a joke that all the stuff that he, that, Elwood went through that day, he still remembered to get cheese whiz for that boy. For that guy. <laughs> you bring him my cheese whiz, boy? And he just... <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> it's, it was just a joke, the fact that all this happened, and he still had time to get cheese whiz. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, this was one of the funny scenes, is they go into the apartment, 
and it's it has enough room for the door to open, a bed, and a stovetop. And trains are running by on a consistent basis. Yes, his window is right by the L, the L train in Chicago. I think I don't know if we mentioned this, but this movie takes place in Chicago. And I think, yeah, my favorite line in the movie, maybe, maybe, um, my favorite like joke line at least was um, uh, Jake asks, "Does the train does the train run by often?" Uh, or no, is what? Oh shoot. How often up. does a train go by? So That's often right. you'll hardly even notice you, it. You, yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. Another running gag in this movie is the only thing Elwood eats is dry white toast. And he starts making himself some toast and he gives Jake a bottle of booze. And Jake takes a couple of sips and he passes out. And then there's like a really nice scene where they're playing, you know, they're playing some blues music and Elwood is sitting by his window and then we get a shot from inside, and then we get an, a shot from the outside where the trains are going. It's like it's a really nice shot of just Dan in his window in his apartment. Yeah. Very cinematic shot. This movie has a ton of when you I guess when you have money, it makes a whole lot of difference when you make a movie. You can do multiple shots. You can get close ups. You can do cuts like that. That scene, I, it, that probably took hours to shoot, and it's on screen for like three seconds. But that's what but makes a great movie. When you have the yeah. time and the money to do it. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> and, and not that you can't make a good movie on a smaller budget, but a bigger budget helps. <laughs> no, and then I think this was, uh, I mean, when did, from your perspective, because this isn't like the golden era of Hollywood, and this is before like movies were just like, you know, huge and massive. I mean, was this a big blockbuster? Did it take in a lot? It did and it didn't. So this movie went over. This was one of the most expensive movies ever made at the time. It went over budget a ton. Okay. And it did all right in the States, but it did massive business overseas. So it was an international hit. Okay. It made it, its budget was 23 million in 1980 and it brought in like 115 million nationwide. So it, nationwide, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, worldwide. Worldwide, okay. So it was a it was a giant hit. I mean, just not in the states. And then eventually, <laughs> but now it's in. Now it's re- regarded as a classic. It's in the film. I forget what it's called. Where you know this, where a film has cultural, you know, matter to it. Uh, yeah. I I I, I'm, I I can't remember what, exactly how it's worded, but you know, cultural significance. So it's in that realm. One of the reasons they said it didn't make a lot of money in the States is a lot of movie theaters down south wouldn't show it because of all the black people in it. A lot, a lot. Yes, a lot of southern states, they were like, this is a black movie. So we're not going to show a black movie in our theater. Okay, well, (laughs) they missed it because, I mean, like I said, this is like. I, I mean, I have my opinions and thought processes, but it's just like amazing music and just like, you know, it's a fun movie. So too bad for them. <laughs> um, but um, so the so the next day, because they fall asleep um, after that scene that you talked about and uh, they're sleeping in their room. And then we see John Candy. John Candy uh, pull up with the police shows up with two of the troopers that were chasing them the other night because... They had Elwood's license, 
But when he renewed it, he put Wrigley Field, the address to Wrigley (laughs) Field on there. So they didn't know who he was. But John Candy is is Elwood Blue's parole officer. He knew where they lived, and he brought the troopers there. And once again, we see Carrie Fisher out front. And she, (laughs) she sees the cops, and she's like, shit. And she pulls away. John Candy takes the two cops up. They can confront the guy at the front desk, just tell us what room they're in. And they get up there, and they're just about to kick the door in, and Carrie Fisher blows up the building. <laughs> yeah, she pulls out, like, I guess a remote control and just detonates, I, I assume, C4, and just brings the entire building the down. The entire building down. It's great. <laughs> And the thing in this is, nobody reacts the way they should. And that's part of the comedy in this movie. Is <laughs> the whole building is blown up. And we see Jake and Elwood just crawl out of the rubble. And they put on their hats and I was like, we got to go to work. Oh, it's almost 9 o'clock. Yeah, it's almost 9 o'clock. We got to go to work. And they leave. And then like 10 seconds later, we see the two cops and John Candy. So what happened was... Those three actors, I don't know if it was John Candy or not. I didn't see his face. So I don't know if it was John Candy and the actual two actors or if they were stand-ins. But whoever Mm -hmm. they were, they had to lie down and they had to put all this rubble on top of them. Then John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd had to lie down on top of them. They had to put all the rubble on top of them. John Belushi and Dan had to crawl out. They leave and then they have to wait and then they crawl out of the rubble. So... <laughs> but that's like putting it together. That's Oh, I mean, it's definitely putting it together. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fun stuff. Um but again, n- nobody n- nobody's put on higher alert. It's just after the Blues brother even though somebody's going around town detonating buildings. Right. Thank somebody you, has Perry blown Fisher. up that building <laughs> and uh, somebody has a, a rocket launcher and blown up that building. And they're just after Jake and Elwood. Yeah. <laughs> so they go uh, and so they go they go to work, is that it? Yes, that and that next? was and that scene was cut from the original movie too. They go to Elwood's job and he works at a glue factory. Oh. So that's how he gets his hands on that glue which he uses later in the movie. In the theatrical version, that scene was cut where he quits his job. That is because in that scene, Dan is wearing safety goggles. So that's the only scene where he's not wearing sunglasses, and that was cut from the original version. So the original theatrical version, Dan is wearing the sunglasses through the entire movie. You never see his eyes. Isn't, except the very end. No, that's that's John. Oh, okay. Yes. But in this scene, we get to see him without his glasses, and that explains how he got this glue, which Dan has this briefcase which he carries, carries around, it's sort of like a magic briefcase. It's like whenever he needs something, he pulls stuff out. It's made off that Elwood is sort of a klepto. He'll steal stuff. So what happens is he'll take something and he'll put it in his bag. <laughs> and then he'll have it for later. They leave the glue factory. And they have a lead on two of their bandmates. And they go to this boarding house. And then this boarding house. I don't think the movie dragged. But I also don't know why this scene is in the movie. They go to a boarding house, and then the lady who runs the boarding house gives them a card and is able to get them in touch with the rest of the band, part of the band. Yeah. It's just an extra step that was was taken. 
it almost reminded me of like Quasi Quest and yeah. when you yes. play. That's because <laughs> they're on the essentially like a, a fetch quest where they're going out and right. assembling band members. So maybe the lady knew somebody and that's why they left the scene in. Um, but they go, but the, to, they go to this boarding house and this lady has a card that says Murph and the Magic Tones. And now they're at a Holiday Inn where two, four, five. Yes, there's five members. There's eight members of the band, not including Jake and Elwood. Mm-hmm. And five of the eight are here. That made it easy. A script, they say, is usually 130 pages. When Dan wrote the original script, it was 324 pages. And they gave wow. it, and he gave it to John Landis, and John Landis is like, okay, this is unshootable. In the original script, Dan wrote how they tracked down each member each. of the band separately, okay. which would have been eight separate scenes. <laughs> Atlantis edited down. It was like, okay, he, you know, he, we've got to condense it a little. So this was just, they basically did this just so they could film it. <laughs> get it. Okay. Get to the point. There we go. Right. <laughs> and it's Murph and the magic tones. It's five members of the old blues brothers band. And they're just playing this cheesy music in the lobby, not the lobby, but very, very it's loud. Yeah. It's, it's very loungy. So we cut to the scene where, you know, we're on a mission from God and they go back and forth. So yeah, you're never going to get everybody together again. Right. You know, you're not going to. Now, an interesting fact is Murph, the guy who the guy who played the piano. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Paul Schaefer, right? Uh, Off the top of my head. David David Letterman band. Okay, gotcha. And he was he was the original piano player in the Blues Brothers band. Oh, when I watched the documentary, they said that Paul Schaefer had contractual obligations. That's why he couldn't do this movie. However, it has come out since then that Paul Schaefer was working on a project with Gilda Radner at the same time. John oh. Belushi became angry with him and fired him. So Paul Schaefer said that he was fired from the movie by John Belushi because he was working with Gilda Radner at the time. He, uh, but not for this movie. Yeah, uh, John Belushi felt betrayed. Gotcha. And that's why Murph is in this movie. But on Saturday Night Live and on the albums, it's Paul Schaefer playing the keyboards. And that's why Murph is in this movie. Paul Schaefer is in the sequel. However, he's not in the band. He plays a different part in the sequel. Now I got to go watch Blues Brothers 2000. Nah, you don't. Nah, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just look up Paul Schaefer's scene online. Okay. Um, <laughs> So they go to the, they're finished. They, they're being told they can't do it because they're, the next guy has like a cushy job. It's great. And that's at the restaurant. One guy is a head mater D at the big restaurant in town. And then their Matt guitar Murphy has, you know, he, he got himself married and he's working in a diner and he took blue Lou with him. Mm-hmm. And but I think this, the fancy restaurant scene is probably one of my favorites yes. of the whole movie. The thing is, with the band some of the band members can act and some can't (laughs) some you can just tell oh they're just reading their lines or they just uh, murphy he can act and then the guy you know who works at the fancy restaurant he can act yeah and all the rest are passable 
they're yeah, okay. They're doing what they they're, they're doing but, what they can with what they have. They're like they're not actors; they're musicians. Music. I would rather have give these musicians exposure than yeah. have actors playing it and, and dubbing in the music. They go to a fancy restaurant and they, the head maitre d and the Blues Brothers walk in and he's like, "It was five years." Why are you out now? It's been, it's supposed to be five years, and he's just he's just horrified <laughs> to see him. Yeah, and it's great because he sets up because um, the, they're trying to convince him to come. Uh, so they're like, "Okay, you won't leave. We'll stay," which you know makes the whole scene what it is. So the uh, what is it? Uh, he says, "Okay, well, we'd like to." find one of our your fine tables to sit down and enjoy this evening's festivities. <laughs> uh, yes. And who was their waiter? Paul Rubin. Paul Rubin, Pee Wee Herman in one of his early film roles. And he's not playing Pee Wee Herman. He's playing Paul. He's Yeah, which is great to see. Yeah, they order Dom Perignon and five shrimp cocktails and white bread for Elwood. <laughs> I shouldn't say that Elwood only eats white bread because in this scene he does eat the shrimp cocktail. Uh, but that was yeah he he orders white bread all the time yes. and that's his go to. That's his go to. But meal. I think they did the the romantic arm twist when the um, the shrimp talk cocktail came yes. and they fed each other. And then they start flipping shrimp cocktails into each other's mouths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they just yeah they become these horrid like you know just. Patrons and I guess they the the restaurant uh, goers start like kind of noticing and start complaining. Right, one of because them because this says, is this is very pinky finger up posh, restaurant, very posh, super posh. A yeah, lot this of, is like candlelit. This is a restaurant dinner. where you would want to be a waiter. Where you p- being a waiter here would put you in a, a, a higher tax bracket from <laughs> from the tips. Yeah, yeah. Every night's a good. Every night. night's a, a good night. night because he's taking orders. And he's like, okay, uh, dinner at 1130. It's like, they're serving dinner at 1130? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, then they start, um, they get get more rowdy as it becomes, like, apparent the guy's not going to leave. Yeah, he starts, Um, they start harassing another table. You know, he offered, you know, uh, John Belushi, Jake, you know, how much, you know, he wants to buy the guy's women. And he's, you know, he's acting like, you know, a, a chic. That, you know, who has multiple wives. I want to buy your children, your wife. I want to buy your, I want to buy your women. (laughs) And he keeps, yeah, he keeps bouncing back and forth until, um, just kind of, doesn't the guy keep saying no? No, no, no. And then he says, if you say no, my brother and I. Oh, that's right. Come here (laughs) for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of the week. And he's like, okay, okay, you got me. (laughs) <laughs> and they leave, and then the scene just ends with this or this irritated guy just yelling in the maitre d's ear, "Sir, sir, sir!" And he doesn't. He's just given up. And he has just given up. <laughs> hold on for a second. Hold thing- on for a second, Will. I'll be right back. Okay. No, that's Scott's gone. It's just me and you. We can talk about whatever we want as long as it involves Dan Aykroyd. That's right, Dan Aykroyd. He's a hero in some people's eyes. If you look at him, you know he he's right there, right in your heart. Dan Aykroyd. When Dan Aykroyd comes into your life, 
You know it's about to be a good one. If Dan Aykroyd was an animal, I would say he's probably an aardvark. Okay, Scott's back. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. Welcome back. Yeah. No, no trouble at okay. all. I was just talking to your audience. Yes. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, so you were going to say something. We, we left the fact, you know, sir, 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 and... Um, the maitre d oh yeah how are they so they don't have money from my understanding but they're going around and racking up bills everywhere i would imagine that the meal the five shrimp cocktails what did they say soup is ten dollars a bowl here well um, paul rubens does say the dom perignon is a, at 120 dollars that's 120 dollars 120 dollars for a bottle of dom perignon and that's 120 dollars in the 80s. 40 years ago. You know, yeah, 1980. 43 years ago. Which, so, so I mean, this is one of the scenes where I'm like, he must have really good friends, because it's like, <laughs> he just racks up this bill and leaves. <laughs> the Blues Brothers are the epitome of nice guys that don't do nice things. <laughs> <laughs> or, so it could then, be, or it could be a means to an end. You have to get something. It doesn't matter how you get it. Yeah. <laughs> If you're working for a good uh, cause. So what they're uh, doing guess, is yeah. they're doing a ton of bad things to do the ultimate good thing. Yeah. They're trying to save the orphanage. Yes. And nothing more noble than saving an orphanage. And this helps balance it out because they're in traffic now. We see this pan back of the bridge and we see a Nazi rally. Is that is that where we are right now? Ye- right after the restaurant? Yes. Okay, so this balances out some of the the jerkiness that they have because apparently they won a case or something, so they're able to, uh, freedom of speech, uh, I get most of it, Um, not all of it, Um, so so the Nazis are blocking traffic on a bridge and, you know, giving a speech. They're like, what's going on? And the cop goes, the fucking Illinois Nazis. Oh, no, the fucking Nazi... No, he goes, the fucking Nazi party. Elwood goes, Illinois Nazis. And Jake goes, I hate Illinois Nazis. And then they floor it, and they this, they run them off the bridge, and they all jump off the... They think they're going to stop, and they don't, so they all jump off the bridge into the water, and everybody's cheering. Yeah. And the head Nazi goes, get that license plate. Get that license um, plate! <laughs> they're like, they're gone! <laughs> And yeah, and the because they were in a ditch essentially, so and through some bro- brush, yeah. but somehow, with somehow their... they're going to get that license plate number. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a good scene to balance out the jerkiness at the restaurant. Right now we're in like a downtown Chicago, and we go to the diner where they're. And while this is happening, and I'll, like ninety five percent of this movie, there is music playing. Either, mm-hmm. the, either the characters are singing, or the characters are playing music, or there's just background music. The, very, very seldom in the background do you not hear music. Yeah. And they pull up, and this is uh, John Lee Hooker singing Boom Boom. Boom 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 Boom. boom. And it's a really nice, gritty shot of, I, you know, like, I don't want to call like it the slums, party? but a lower. Oh, we've no. gone from, we went from elegant to the, the poor side of Chicago in those two yeah. scenes. You know, they're driving and they're looking for this cafe and they find it and they walk in and aretha franklin she's in charge just having yeah like you said maybe they weren't in demand then but seeing this now like my jaw dropped and i was like okay they they had john lee hooker 
and now they have Aretha Franklin. And at first I didn't think that was her. And I was like, oh, okay. They dubbed it over with a song and I looked it up and it was, nope, that's nope, her. That's her. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's because <laughs> they're there to get, um, uh, Aretha Franklin married their, oh, I don't, I forget what instrument he plays, but he, he's the cook in the kitchen he now. Play, yeah. Aretha Franklin married Matt Guitar Murphy. And one of the employees is Blue Lou, who plays the saxophone. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, and then this was a funny thing. When they're ordering, Aretha comes up before um, before they know who it is. And he's like, I want four fried chickens and some white toast. And he's like, four, four chicken wings, chicken legs. I want four fried chickens and some white toast. And so he's ordering like these whole fried chickens, four of them. Help you, boys? You got any uh, white bread? Yes. I'll have some toasted white bread, please. You want butter or jam on that toast, honey? No, ma'am. Dry. Got any fried chicken? Best damn chicken in the state. Bring me four fried chickens and a Coke. You want chicken wings or chicken legs? Four fried chickens and a Coke. And some dry white toast, please. You all want anything to drink with that? No, ma'am. A Coke. Be up in a minute. We got two honkies out there dressed like Hasidic diamond merchants. Say what? They look like they're from the CIA or something. What they want to eat? The tall one wants white bread, toast, dry, with nothing on it. Elwood. And the other one wants four whole fried chickens and a Coke. And Jake shit the blues brother. Hi, Jake. Matt! Hi, what are you doing? How you doing? How was Joliet? Oh, it's bad. On Thursday night, they serve a wicked pepper steak. Can't be as bad as the cabbage roll at the Terre Haute Federal PM. Or that oatmeal at the Cook County Slammer. Oh, they're all pretty bad. Matt, me and Elwood, we're putting the band back together. We need you and Blue Lou. Don't talk that way around here. My old lady, she'll kill me. Ma'am, you got to understand that this is a lot bigger than any domestic problems you might be experiencing. Matt, what the hell is he talking about? Don't get riled, sugar. Don't you don't get riled, sugar me. Now, you're not going back on the road no more, and you ain't playing in them old two-bits, lazy dive. You're living with me now, and you're not going to go sliding around with your old white hoodlum friends. But, babes, this is Jake and Elwood, the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers? Shit. And then she says the order... And that makes uh, Guitar Murphy realize, oh, I know exactly who these people are. Jake and Elwood, the so, Blues Brothers. So he goes out and he's uh, he's hanging out. And then um, he says he's leaving with them or he wants to leave no, with them. And well, Aretha Franklin yes, says no. Well, Jake and Elwood, like, we need your, we need your guitar. Propose it. And That's it's right. like, we're on a mission from God. And she's like, don't you blaspheme in here. Don't you blaspheme. And Aretha Franklin gets in his face. You know, you bet. You better think about what you're doing. You better think, and then we get the classic think. Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin singing think with. She's right there. And, <laughs> and while this is going on, there's a whole choreography, choreography, choreographed, a chore, <laughs> choreographed, choreographed. Thank you. Number of the people outside the diner dancing. Oh no! Wait a minute. Yeah. Yes. Was it? No, this no, one or no, the... no. That was race. Shit. Sorry. Uh. They're they're in the Jake and Elwood and Aretha's backup singers. They are, yes, they're they're dancing in this move in in this scene. Sorry, 
Well, most of the numbers, like when they were in the church, everybody was dancing yes. and the, they, they jumped in. Um, and this is the other one that they dance in. I don't, there's no other dances yes. yet. Not that I'm aware of. And the song ends oh. and Matt leaves and so does Blue Lou. So now. Got to do what I got to yep. do. They leave and now they have the band back together. We have we have a quick throwaway scene that cuts to Carrie Fisher studying a uh, flamethrower manual. Yes. <laughs> and then I don't know where it falls, but we also have a cutaway scene. The Nazis find out the car belongs to Elwood Blues. They follow the license and they end up in oh, front of right. Wrigley yeah. Field. And there's this nice shot of Henry Gibson who plays the head Nazi. And it's shot from below, and he's standing right beh- right behind the Wrigley Field. And mm-hmm. he's like, anybody with a record like that's going to fuck up. <laughs> and when he does, he better pray the police get to him before we do. So now, the police are after the Blues Brothers, and the Nazi party is after Blues Brothers. So keep, and keep, Carrie Fisher. And Carrie Fisher is after the For Blues Brothers. For some reason. So now we have three people after the Blues Brothers. So, but keep that in mind. End of part one. Intermission. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com scottwhite and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. <laughs> In my ear, tell me that you love me. I love that talk, that baby talk. I want you talk like that. I can't take it like that. How, 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 how.
This has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast. I guess you're really up shit creek. I beg your pardon, what did you say? I offered to help you. Mm -hmm. You refused to take our money. Mm -hmm. Then I said, I guess you're really up shit creek. Ow! Christ, Jake, take it easy, man. Ow! Oh, Jesus Christ! Ow! Jesus Christ! Christ. Ow! Oh, shit! Oh, shit! You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. It saddens and hurts me that the two young men whom I raised to believe in the Ten Commandments have returned to me as two thieves with filthy mouths and bad attitudes. Get out and don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. <laughs>